Isn't there a great sense of God's presence in our midst? Boy, don't take that for granted. I've been to church services for years where everyone showed up, but the Lord didn't. And uh, I, I value uh, His presence in our midst. And I want to do my part to help foster His coming, His presence, His, his desire that uh, He might be amongst us and, of course, our pursuit of Him, both personally and corporately. Um, Tracy and I were out of town uh, this week on Wednesday night. I uh, had the honor of speaking at just a wonderful church in the Spartanburg area, uh, a, a large work restoration church of Spartanburg, Pastor Tony and Tammy Cribb, and uh, just had a great service, was able to share with them, and that's always encouraging. Then after that service, we met with their leadership team, a large leadership team, and they are just getting started with encounters. And so they wanted us to come and get them excited about encounters. Boy, was that an assignment. And we enjoyed doing that. Uh, Teresa and I were able to share with them, and, and I believe that they're excited. In fact, uh, we'll be uh, getting the next encounter date out to you. Hopefully, it'll be posted on our technology sometime this week, but by next Sunday, you'll hear that date. And we have a couple of churches. Uh, their church from Spartanburg is going to come down and be with us. And then there's a church in Savannah, Georgia that uh, wants to come up and be a part of uh, what we're doing here. Isn't that cool? People traveling miles to come to the mall. Amen. Hey, let me tell you, Commerce Georgia has nothing on us anymore with that big Tanger outlet there. They aren't going to go to North Charleston to the Tanger. They need to come to the mall right here at 1401 Sam Rittenberg. So, so uh, we're excited about that. Uh, really, it's the fulfillment of some words that, that we've received. We've received as a congregation and we've received personally. Um, Trace and I also were a part of the Thursday morning pastors gathering that you know I've been a part of, the remnant movement. And we had our largest attendance of pastors ever for these meetings. And that was a major encouragement. Probably one of the best meetings we had. It culminated incredibly because we've been meeting at each other's churches and praying in the sanctuaries as pastors. And so we all gathered up in a circle and we got our hands in the middle of this circle. And Pastor Tony Cribb just gave us a quick little lesson on how the oil was poured in the shofar, the ram's horn. And then he poured this oil over all of our hands as we were in like one of those football circles. You know, the football team all gathers up and puts their hands in the middle and they go one, two, three, victory or something like that. Well, we all had our hands in there as pastors and that oil, it was, it was a big gooey mess and we just rubbed, everybody's just got their hands. It was just rubbed in oil and we just began really to just weep and cry out and begin to ask God just to break the walls and tear down the barriers and, and loosen anointing to set people free and break bondages and anoint the pulpits of America again. Instead of having men of God and women of God stand up giving little Bible stories, it's time to get an anointing back in the place that can set people free. And man, we were a big gooey mess. And he wouldn't even let us wash our hands. We had to put it, we had to put, we all had to put it on this handkerchief and he keeps it. I thought that was cool. He said, I want to keep all this oil flowing off all these ministries. And so, uh, anyway, it was, it was impactful, and then we stayed Friday night. Uh, they have what they call Encounter Friday, which would resemble our vertical services. 
And again, the word of the Lord came forth and a guy came up right after the service. Never saw him before, never met him before, just just one of his leadership and his team, just an unassuming gentleman. Said that he was walking out of the church, going into the parking lot, and the Lord spoke to him and said, I told you to go speak to those two. So he turned around and made his way back in, and Trace and I were standing there, and he walks up, and we just figured we were meeting somebody, met a lot of people. And he just said, uh, the Lord told me to come speak to you some things, and I don't know that we can get into all of it, but when you start hearing the exact same phrases being uttered, that people have spoken just a couple weeks prior and maybe just a couple of months prior. I mean the exact phrases. You know you're hearing the voice of the Lord. In fact, the two words that came out, the two sentences that came out were so impactful that I... It, it, and, and I know this area. Let me tell you, I've been, I moved around the prophetic for years now, so I get it, I understand it. But when you hear these these direct quotations come out of a person's mouth that there is no way earthly possible that they could know that except by the Spirit of the Lord. And they come out, and, and, and just for a moment, I just, I just went, oh my Lord, this is God. Because, you know, people share things, and it, it may or may not be God, but this one was the Lord. And it was just so encouraging on many fronts. But as we were coming home, I mentioned to my wife, I said, you know, you're always personally encouraged to receive, you know, a prophecy. You know, there are times in our life, and some of you probably here have received a personal prophecy maybe sometime in your life. Perhaps you've never, and, and it'll be a great day when that moment happens. I believe God wants to speak to His people. But uh, for some of us, you know, there, there are seasons where it seems like everybody's got a word for us, and then there are these long seasons where it seems like nobody's got anything for you. And, and, you know, we've gone through a fairly long season that, you know, there's not been a prophetic word that's come. And for us, it's not like, you know, we're going to quit serving God or we're in confusion or something like that. Because the best way God speaks still is when He speaks to your own heart. Amen? That's the best way to get a word still is when God speaks to your own heart. But it is nice on occasion to get these words. But here lately, we've just been receiving so many just lately after this incredibly long, dry season I told Trace two things down the road. I said, number one, if God's speaking that much, something's about ready to happen. Something's about ready to take place. And the second thing I shared with her was this, and that is to some extent, when a, when a pastoral team, like my wife and myself, when we begin to receive words, it, it not only is a personal encouragement, but you understand that to some extent it affects you. Because, listen, ministry for me isn't my job. This is my life. This is my calling. You are my calling. You aren't just a part of the job description. And so whenever God speaks to me about the future, or speaks to us about doors that are being swung wide open even now, as, as He's prophesying, and, and it, just, it just really encouraged me, like I said, not only personally, but to share with you, folks, Together, we're on the brink, I think, of some incredible, wonderful, miraculous days that some of us have been holding on for a long, long time, waiting to see manifest. And if there was a, ever, ever a time that you would listen to me and, and receive it with great authority, I'm telling you this, now is not the time to throw in the towel. 
If you came in here this morning and said, I tell you, I don't have 24 hours left in me anymore. And I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to walk away from God. I'm just ready. I'm just ready. I'm, 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 I'm telling you, I break that in Jesus' name. Because I believe we are so close to seeing over-the-top happenings from God Himself that uh, I'm just not going to miss it. I just, I just refuse to miss it. And I'll be faithful to the Lord. I've been faithful to Him for 32, 3 years now. I've been faithful to the Lord. I'll be faithful to the very end. I'm, I'm, I'm determined to endure to the end. But I'm just here to say that I believe this is that season. This is that which the prophets have spoken about. So I'm getting your expectors up. All right. This is the season. Amen. Well, that's my report. Now, let me preach to you. Hey, turn to Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. We're only going to take a couple of minutes here. I promise. Ephesians two 19. I've entitled this the place. Where God dwells. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 19. I just want to continue to foster the presence of God here in our midst. This is what Paul writes to the church there. He says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, this is where it gets interesting. In whom the whole building being fitted together. Everyone say together. Now, it didn't say by yourself, did it? It said together in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I'm going to finish reading here in just a moment. But, but just as we individually can be the temple of the Holy Spirit, I know Paul mentioned that, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says here that the Lord together wants to grow something into a holy temple. Together. Now I know I'm belaboring the point, but I'm wanting that to be revelation to you. Together. Verse 22. In whom you also are being built. There he says it again. What? Together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Now, I'll tell you why that just leapt out to me. It's because when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, he comes and he abides in us. Right? We've opened up our hearts. We've received him. By His Spirit into our heart and into our lives. And so His presence His presence abides in us as a believer. But Paul says here that there is something yet to be built. Not only will God do that for you as an individual, but He says there's something that He wants to build in us together. He says, I can build something in you together, corporately, that will facilitate or that will open something up that will allow and I'm speaking in the first person as if I'm the voice of the Lord that will allow me saith the Lord to come and to habitate in your presence as a people now God has always had dwelling places there has always been habitations there are places we can read in the scripture that 
He has dwelt in an unusual and in an important way. Uh, some of you may know these stories, some of you may not, but, but God came to Bethel and He dwelled at Bethel. And, and then He came to Peniel and, and there where Jacob wrestled with the Lord. Uh, God set up a dwelling place, a place where He literally showed up and He manifested Himself. The Scripture tells us that God would dwell on Mount Sinai, the place that Moses would ultimately go to to receive the commandments of the Lord. He, he dwelt there. Um, Obed-Edom was a place that uh, the Philistines had taken the ark, and the ark represented uh, the presence of God, and, and, and there the presence of God resided. And, and David went after, as you'll recall, the Philistine. Uh, encampment and brought the ark back into Jerusalem and set the ark up in his backyard. And the Bible tells us that there in the backyard of David's house, God would come and he would dwell. And so you can easily see in the Old Testament these places that God would literally set up shop and he would dwell in those places. So it transfers into the New Testament as well. We find those moments that God dwells and habitates in an unusual place. The upper room. Amen. Jerusalem ended up being a hotbed for the presence of God. Antioch, years later, God's Spirit moved and habitated there in Antioch. And I could give you the names of all these different places, but the key to all of this is, is, that, is that God's not so much interested in geography as much as He's interested in people. And when He finds a people who fulfill the design that He requires for His habitation, there He will come. There He will come. Now, I know what people say because they'll come to church and they'll hear me talking about this and they'll say, well, what does this have to do with me having a better marriage? Or how does this help me raise the kids? Or how does this help me pay the bills? Or how does this help me? Because we are in an era, folks, in church life where we say to ourselves, how is this relevant? Folks, you get God on the scene and every need is met like that. See, our problem in America isn't a smarter politician. It's getting God back in the center of our lives. His presence fixes a lot. And if you can get a hold of that, you won't need the ten easy steps to being a multimillionaire. You get God's presence in your life and in our midst, all of a sudden, answers and solutions and understanding and wisdom and joy and hope and direction and peace and all of these things come and you become a walking mystery to the world because they bought all the books and it ain't working. And you carry the presence of God and you prevail. That's what I call relevant. We preach relevancy here. And so this is a relevant subject because most of us really have only thought of God's tangible presence really in terms of what has been called visitation. God, send us a visitation of your presence. It's, it's that momentary feeling. It's the, it's the fleeting moment. Like this morning, I think we had one of those moments when God showed up while we were worshiping. I don't know about you, I've sensed God's presence here. If you didn't sense God's presence here, maybe the wood's wet and you need to get dried up a little bit. And, because there was a fire that was beginning to brew as we worship God together here. And then what happens, we, we oftentimes needfully move on to what 
is needed to do next, and, and, and then we're back to what we would consider natural and normal. I'm not saying there's anything evil or wrong with that, but I am saying that for most of us, we've sort of based our lives on these fleeting, sporadic, periodic happenings where we, where we experience for just a moment God's presence and we'll walk out and we'll say, wasn't that a good worship service or wasn't that a good day or wasn't that a good moment? Or maybe you'll have a personal prayer time and God will show up in a special way and you'll get up and go, wasn't that good? Man, I met with the Lord and it was just a good time. And again, there's nothing wrong with these moments. They're called visitations. Visitations are good but what's happened is, is we've satisfied ourselves on visitations when God says he's looking for a habitation. He didn't, he didn't want to visit us. He wants to hang around us and dwell in our midst. I don't know about you. I, I kind of like science fiction. My wife doesn't like science fiction. And of course, you know, I don't know that I always like HGTV. But um, so we, 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 you know, we, we work through these things. Um, but for those of you that have ever watched maybe a, a, a science fiction movie, whenever a visitor from outer space shows up, it's interesting that whenever a visitor from outer space shows up, they're always superior technologically. They're usually superior intellectually. They have these spaceships, usually some awesome weapons. They've got some propulsion method that we don't know about yet. They don't use gasoline or jet fuel. Their IQs are higher. And the thing that has always amazed me is they always speak English. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not. That aliens from other planets always speak English. Now, I think at times, sometimes we view God like we view these aliens. Certainly, he's, he's superior, he's, he's, he's you know, more, you know, more uh, intellectually smarter. I don't even know if that's a if proper grammar there. Probably wasn't. Um, and, 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 and he's like that. And so it, it, we've sort of developed this, this, this skewed way of thinking that we've got to be like hyper smart to get in God's presence or, or we've got to be able to finagle something in some way for God to come and, and be with us. Maybe if we clamored a little bit more, he'd be amused and he'd come down and be with us. But that's not God. And that is not what pursuing him is all about. Psalm 43, three, I threw it on the screen. This is what David would pray. He would say, bring me to your dwelling places. Bring me to your dwelling places. David wanted to be led to those places that God dwells and where his spirit was abiding and God intended for you and I to live in his presence. Do you understand that we are about the only species on earth whose entire population is content to live outside of where we were designed to live? You know, fish were designed to live in water, and if you try to put them on dry land, they die, right? I mean, species have certain environments that they thrive in. Our environment, yours and my environment as human beings, was to reside in the presence of God. We flourish in the presence of God. We prosper in the presence of God. Everything we need is met in the presence of God. That's where you and I were designed to be. But is it not interesting that as a, as, as a human being and as a population, we want to be anywhere and everywhere except in the environment we were designed to be in. We settle for the natural world. We settle for 
simply the interaction in the habitat of fallen humanity. And what happens is for most of us, we're like fish out of water. Or if we are in the water, it's an aquarium. Paul said you're no longer a foreigner or a stranger, but you were built to live in his presence. And I've reached the place and I want you to reach that place with me that we will no longer settle for anything less than his presence. We will no longer settle for a cheap substitute except him. Now, what environment does God desire? This is the question. What environment does he want to dwell in? And, and, and this is the part I wanted to get to. And I'm going to go through this really rapidly. And I promise you, we'll cut you loose. But most of us think that God moves when we're sincere. That, that when God sees our sincerity, that somehow he's obligated to move our direction because he sees sincerity at work. Now, this is not a trick question. I'm going to raise my hand on this question. I anticipate a 100% response to this question. And so I'm just, because I know oftentimes I'll ask rhetorical questions and everybody's going, I don't know whether I want to raise my hand on this one. Or... How many believe themselves, listen, how many believe themselves to be sincere? Now, you know why I knew that was going to be 100%? Because if I were to ask that the opposite way, how many of you here Believe yourselves to be insincere. Me? Like, did you really think someone was going to do that? No, of course not. All of us think we're sincere. But can I ask you this? If sincerity moved God, we'd have no problems connecting with Him. You see, sincerity does not move God. Can I just share this with you? I'll use myself as an example. I lived 18, almost 19 years of my life in the world. I lived it all out for the enemy. I lived for the devil. I practiced his ways and I practiced the ways of the world. But can I just share this with you? And I mean this sincerely. I mean this. I was the most sincere heathen you'd ever met. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I, I lied. Cheated. I did what human beings do. But I was sincere. See, I, I sincerely lied. Sincerely cheated. Sincerely did all the things that God says you ought not do. Now listen to me. If sincerity moved God, we'd all be in great shape. But the problem is, is that we think sincerity is what moves the heart of God, which is what is going to surprise people on the judgment day is because they're going to stand before God and say, but God, I was sincere. And God's going to look at you and say, sincerity wasn't the issue obedience is the issue. You can be sincerely wrong. And that's why we've got to begin to move out of our sincerity and understand what moves God. And that's when he sees obedience. When he sees us in repentance, when he sees us seeking forgiveness, when he sees us in humility, when he sees us in meekness, when he sees us in compassion, when we move obediently, then God says, I'll move that direction. It's not just because we're sincere. We're a sincere congregation. I believe that. We just proved it, didn't we? All raised our hands. But that sincerity doesn't mean that God is obligated to come and dwell amongst us. Then, pastor, where does he dwell? Well, the Old Testament saints, interestingly enough, knew some things about soliciting the presence of God. And uh, there are some principles here 
that find their way into the New Testament as well. But I want to read it out of the Old Testament to you because it's such a powerful picture. And, and, and quickly go back if you have your Bibles. I believe they'll post it on the screen overhead. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, I want to read you this picture. And, and bear with me. Just listen. Listen to the picture. But God shows up at a temple dedication in a powerful way. Now, you need to understand, as we're reading these passages here in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, it had been 400 years since God had showed up. Now, that's not to say people weren't serving God or they weren't loving God or they weren't doing what he had asked of them to do with regards to uh, religious life. They were doing all the things they were supposed to do, kind of like you and me. It's not to say we aren't coming to church and, and we aren't singing the songs and we don't come to the communion table and we don't do the, the program of church. We certainly do that. But you see, the key isn't showing up to do what we're supposed to do. The key is, is God there? Because if God's not there, it can become pretty futile. And, and so for 400 years, could you imagine 400 years, God had not been there in a manifested way, in, a, in an unusual and unique way. And here in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11, I'm just reading a part of the temple dedication service, but it's an amazing part. It says, and it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were singers and all those of Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun with their sons and their brethren, those are all the assigned worship leaders, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals. This, see, this is cool. Cymbals. Stringed instruments. Harps. See, all of this stuff on the platform, it's biblical. Amen. I mean, you can't, you can't find a piano and an organ even in the Scriptures. But I can show you cymbals and drums and stringed instruments and harps, and yet people will complain about this, and they'll run to something that, well, we'll just leave that alone. Okay. And with them, 120 priests sounding trumpets. Indeed, it says, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Then Solomon spoke, chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you, meaning the Lord, an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Now that's really interesting. God shows up in a tangible place, in an amazing way. It's not that God isn't everywhere at once. We know that to be true. God can be anywhere and everywhere, and he can do it all at the same time. But there are these moments we read in the Bible when he, when he comes in a focused and unusual and special way. And, and when he shows up, incredible things begin to happen. And the question is, what led to this? What, what, what can we do? What can you and I do to begin to solicit and woo His presence back into our lives. And listen, more importantly, according to Ephesians 2, back into the corporate body, back into the church. 
What exactly was there? Three things. Write it down quick. I'm going to go through it fast. Number one, there was a willingness on the people's part to pay certain prices. Say, well, pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, if I could read to you the the chapters preceding chapter five, you will find that that there was great attention given to detail. The time it was to take place, the investment that the people put forth in order to get to this moment. There were things that they began to do with regards to uh, the construction, with regards to the sacrificial system. There were things they had to do with regards to acts of obedience and all of these things that took place. And all of these things that happened prior to this moment when God came was a display of their internal state of hunger and their thirst for God's presence in their life. They did all of these incredible over-the-top things in order to communicate to God, we're serious about having you come and be with us. We want you to dwell in our midst. When I was dating Tracy so many years ago now, and I mean, it's been a lot of years, hasn't it, baby? Almost 30 years ago when we started dating. I was just the normal, everyday young man. And I was smitten with my soon-to-be, would-to-be wife. And everything in me wanted to be in her presence. I know wives, somewhere along the way, us husbands lose our minds. And the same guy that dated you is not the same guy that married you. Forgive us. But for just a moment, let's all take that sentimental journey back to when we were dating. And I wanted so badly to be in her presence. And and the first summer of our dating relationship, she was in a singing group. And they were assigned all summer long to go places and to sing different places all over the Midwest. And she was not, if she did come back, she'd only be in very quickly before she'd have to go out again. And so for literally those three months, which seemed at the time to be an eternity, she would be traveling in all different places. Now, I want you to hear me when I say this. This was pre-cell phone days. This was PC, pre-cell phone. Ain't no texting. Ain't no calling, talking for hours because you got the right plan on your cell phone. I mean, I mean, this is what we had to do back then. I had to figure out, she gave me her schedule, and I had to figure out using the U.S. Postal Service to write a letter. I had to get it in the mail, and I had to pre-plan her stops with these letters. So, so if it took, let's say, if she was up somewhere in, you know, Minnesota. She's up in, up in Minnesota, and I knew it was going to take, let's just say, because it's the U.S. mail, um, you know, four days to get up there or something or whatever. I had to make sure that whatever I was writing would be relevant to her four days in the future. I had to make sure it was all wrapped up, put a stamp on, get it in there. And I had to send it to the church with a big writing on the outside that said, please hold for Tracy Maccabee, one of the singers of the, in the Continentals. And I'd put it in the, in the mailbox and send it there. And, and sometimes it would hit just perfect. Sometimes it would be there a day or two early. But, but, I mean, there was details in this relationship. And and you know what happened? I finally, I reached the day where I said, you know what? I don't want, I don't want her traveling all over. I want, I want to be in her presence all the time. So what did you do? I proposed. I proposed because I wanted to be with her all the time. And so in that proposal, what happens is, is you make certain commitments isn't that true? We make certain commitments. 
in that proposal. And then she said, with a smile on her face, she said, yes. And that thrilled my heart. And then she said, the smartest thing a woman can ever say, show me the ring. You see, because Tracy's saying, now, now I'll let you hang around me, but you're really not going to get into my presence. Until number one, I have the ring. And then after the ring, we're going to spend a little time getting to know each other and we're going to understand each other. And then there's going to come a day we're going to get married. And then the minute we get married and you sign on the dotted line, we can have an intimate relationship. See, she, she was a smart woman. See, 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 it's interesting how, how we tend to think God, God works a lot like our current dating methods. See, we think we can get God just to show up and be intimate with us, and the whole time we aren't paying the prices. We aren't spending the time. We aren't making the covenant. No, as a matter of fact, God's a little like a cheap date. We can get Him to show up, and uh, He'll just do anything and everything He wants for us, and the whole time, we just, we just going to do what we want to do. It's almost as if God is like a backseat rendezvous. As long as He keeps meeting your needs, well, you'll keep hanging around Him. Well, isn't God blessed? You see, in order to get God to be with us in powerful and intimate ways, there's going to be a price, folks, we pay. What are some of those prices? Intercession. And prayer and waiting on him and taking the time, hearing his word, reading his word, being faithful. You aren't going to be able to do this express stuff with God. I mean, God wants to be wooed and loved and spent time with. God is a person who desires to be with us, but he's not going to be treated like we treat most everything else. Hurry up now. And, and if you're and if you're doing it conveniently and I can get in the express line and I'm in and out, then everything's going to be good. And God says, I'll, you know what? You can do in and out religion. You can do express lane church. But if you want me to show up, I expect to be wooed. That's what God says. And they spent a lot of time wooing the Lord. Number two, there was the smell of death. It's interesting that God showed up when he smelled death. In the Old Testament, God came when there was sacrifice. God gave audience to death. They would bring these animals and they would sacrifice them. They would kill them. They would burn them on the altars. And all of a sudden you would smell, you would smell the burning of hair, the burning of flesh, all this burning that was going on on these gigantic, we would call them barbecues, I would suppose. They were called altars in that day. They would be burned, these animals. And when the smoke from the altars would go up with that burning flesh and that hair, there would be something that would hit the nostrils of God and he would smell the death. And all of a sudden he would move in that location. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that on this dedication day, they sacrificed 22,000 oxen? That's a whole lot of cows, ain't it? 22,000 oxen, get this, 120,000 sheep were sacrificed that day. Can you imagine? Thrown on an altar. We're not talking any altar. We're talking one barbecue they had there. And they just keep throwing these animals in there. And I'm telling you, there was just, there was smoke and there was fire. And, but what's interesting is, is that according to this account, God did not show up on this day 
when all the animals were sacrificed. No, it says that he showed up, as I read to you, when the priests, the Bible says, sanctified themselves. Or the scripture says that they set themselves apart with no regard to their ministry. And what that means is, is that the priests themselves came and all of a sudden they laid down their, their, their vocations and they laid down their jobs and they laid down their future. They laid down their position in front of the people. They laid down everything that defined them as them. And literally that day, they died to themselves. Are you following me? And all of a sudden you have all these animals who on other occasions when God would smell the death, he'd move to it. But on this day, he didn't move when all these animals were sacrificed. But when the priests died to themselves, God said, I can move to that. Isn't that interesting? See, in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, post it, guys. This is what Paul said. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Keep going. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen to me. God wants to come, but you know what draws him today? God isn't drawn by our technology. God isn't even drawn by this message. God isn't drawn by our contemporary music. God isn't drawn by all the neat colors we're flashing. God is drawn when he smells death. When he sees a people who are willing to kneel and say, oh God, it's not about me anymore. It's not about my agenda. It's not about me and mine. It's not about, it's about you. I set aside, I sanctify myself, I set aside all of me in order that I might receive all of you. And at that moment, that's why God no longer moves to the blood of bulls and goats, but He moves when people present themselves as living sacrifices. Guys, put it on the screen. Death means brokenness. It means yieldedness. Humility, meekness, and lowliness. These, these are the attributes of our era. That as we walk in and as we present to the Lord, He will respond. That's when we die to ourselves. When we, when we say, Lord, it's, I'm not talking about devastation. I'm just talking, Lord, I yield to your plans. I yield to everything about you. Put up Galatians 2.20, guys. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Every time God shows up, He doesn't show up to arrogance. He doesn't show up to haughtiness. It says that if we'll humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, He will exalt us in due season. It says that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to whom? And He'll respond to the humble every time. Why do we avoid that? Why do, why do we, why do, we can talk about it, but why do we avoid it? It's because we don't like the smell of our own flesh dying. It's amazing. The church truly is a no smoking section. Because we, we, we don't want our flesh to be challenged. We don't want our flesh to be broken. We don't want to yield these things. But hear me, when we do, it pleases God. The more broken and humble and yielded, the more death that He smells, the closer He comes. And let me tell you this about death. God, when He comes towards death, 
is the great resurrector. Don't let the death bother you. He is known for breathing life into death. And finally, number three, and I'm done. There was a release of worship. The truth is, you can't preach the presence of God into the church. Good preaching is helpful. You may like what you hear from me. I'm, I'm flattered that you would come to listen to what I would have to say. But I'll tell you straight up, me preaching doesn't bring God on the scene. It's helpful. It may help you understand some things, but it doesn't move God. He's looking, he's looking for passionate, worshiping people. John 4.23 says, The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, which apparently, I always like that phrase because it indicates there can be false worshipers, but we'll let that one go too. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Do you know that God right now is on this search? He's searching for those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Think about it. Think about the simplicity of a child even. When, when a young child comes up, and some of you have young children, and they lift their hands up to you, and they say, pick me up. Pick me up. I mean, is there one of us that just sit there and go, quit it. Stop it. It's embarrassing. People will think you're excessive. They'll think you're overboard. Over-emotional. Pick me up. That's, pick me up. And what do we do as moms and dads? We reach down and, and we pick them up. Listen, when we raise our hands to the Lord and we worship Him in this place, and we're doing such a good job at it, I, I appreciate that. There's such a great spirit. It's happening. I'm just really exhorting. But when we as a congregation lift our hands to the Lord, it's the same thing. We're just saying, Lord, pick me up. I'm, I'm, I've brought myself low. I've yielded myself to you. I'm, I understand I'm nothing in your sight, but Lord, pick me up. You are the lifter of my head. And when we begin to do that, God zeroes in on it. And he goes, I can dwell there. I can dwell there. Last story, and it's over. Years ago, I lived in Kansas City. And uh, Kansas City is known for its barbecue. And there's a great barbecue restaurant that was just down the road from where I lived. And years prior, it had been actually a church. And they had renovated this old church into a barbecue sort of, you know, bar scene type restaurant. You could go in for various reasons, and they had great barbecue to be had in that location. But you'd go in, it was really interesting because you would see all the defining features of a church. You'd see the stained glass windows, you'd see the, the, the sort of the architectural design. You could easily recognize it was once a chapel. And, uh, but you'd go in there and you would eat barbecue. It was just a church that obviously had gone defunct and now it had been sold over to be used as a restaurant. The interesting thing about this particular restaurant was is that they smoked their barbecue and, 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 and of course the whole place smelled like a barbecue restaurant and the thing, it was kind of good and bad because if you had anywhere to go after you ate at the restaurant, it was hard to go there because just sitting in the restaurant, you smelled like a pit barbecue. And so if you were all dressed up going somewhere, when you walked out, I mean, you would smell like barbecue because you sat in that ancient church that was now a restaurant and they just filled it up with that barbecue smoke. It was literally on your clothes. You came out smelling like barbecue. Now, now, I just started thinking about that here years later. And I thought to myself, you know, 
in the temple when they're burning up thousands and thousands and thousands of animals and smoke would, would literally fill, I would suspect, miles of terrain and the people would come to the temple in order to worship God and that smoke was there that literally when you got done with all of that and you walked away and you went back to your ordinary everyday life if you happened to stumble into an Amalekite or a Philistine or a Hittite or an Amorite or whoever you might you know stumble into and they walk by you and all of a sudden they walk by you and they go where you been they've been having a barbecue there in your camp you look at him and say, no, no, we've just been worshiping our God. Can you smell it? It's on us. Yeah, I can smell it. You must have had one more worship service because I'm telling you. You smell like Kingsford charcoal right now. I mean, you. I, I, I just got this vision of people coming out of the house of God. And there would be something that is so retained on us because we've worshipped God and He has come and has been in our midst. It has literally, in, a, in an allegorical way, literally smoked our clothes until when we walk out and we walk by people and we interact with them in our everyday lives. And it's, it's not that we even had to say anything, although I suspect at times it probably needful we do. But all of a sudden, it's as if they go, where you been? Well, I've been to church. What's that I smell? God. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he showed up the other day. And he's all over me. The best advertising that restaurant had was people smelling like barbecue. The best advertising will ever be is when we start smelling like the presence of God again. Hey, would you stand with me?